Thanks, Nate. We felt it was important that after the events that have unfolded this week in Washington, D.C., that we ask somebody who is an American to lead us in prayer for the USA. But let's continue to be praying for that nation as they transition, hopefully, over the next two weeks to smoother and calmer seas. And it's appropriate, too, that we're beginning, as Libby mentioned, a series looking at the book of Nehemiah. Because in chapter one, the chapter that Nate read for us a few moments ago, we have what is a prayer for a nation. I wonder if you've ever heard this phrase uttered from someone's lips. It's not the despair that crushes you, it's the hope that really hurts. It's a phrase that has come to be associated with fans of the Scottish rugby or football team, and if I'm honest, increasingly fans of my team, Manchester United. It's not the despair that crushes you, it's the hope. The idea that somehow this time things could be different. The announcement of another national lockdown this week, following on so soon after a stripped back Christmas day and a hogmanay that came and went almost unnoticed, seemed really hard for many people I know to take this week. A return to homeschooling, uncertainty about jobs, increased rates of transmission and hospital admissions, and a new more virulent strain of COVID meant that despite the promise held out by the arrival of the vaccination programme, lots of people have perhaps faced their hardest week this week. School exams have been cancelled, job interviews postponed, non-essential shops shut, and churches, at least in Scotland, have had to have their doors closed for the time being. We remain open for service and for worship, but our buildings are temporarily shut. People who began dry January on Monday were severely tempted to give up by Tuesday or even by Monday evening. Recognising the hard times we're facing, we're going to spend the next six weeks in our sermon series looking at this book in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, and seeing what we can learn from how he responded to what were really tough times that he was going through. Nehemiah, when we join the story in chapter 1, is 100 200 miles from home. He'd never been to Jerusalem and was born 100 years after the Babylonian Empire had captured the Israeli capital. He probably would have heard the stories from his fellow Israelites about how unwilling or unable to repent of the idolatry and materialism that Israel and Judah had fallen into, unimpressed by the fate of the 10 northern kingdoms and tribes who'd been captured, ignoring the prophetic warnings of Jeremiah the Jews had paid a heavy price of defeat and exile. Jerusalem, the city that they loved, was destroyed. The king was bereaved, blinded, and imprisoned. And thousands of Israelites were exiled in chains and deported north. The temple, built 400 years before by King Solomon, and the symbol of where they believed God met with humanity, was left in ruins. No king, no city, no temple, and hundreds of miles away from home in exile, things looked pretty bleak. An attempt was made to rebuild the temple 70 years after the fall of Jerusalem, when led by the prophet Ezra, a small community was allowed to go back to the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. But with the prospect of a restored Israel, the neighboring tribes were a bit spooked and frightened. They objected, and the Persians, who themselves had conquered the Babylonians, brought the rebuilding to an end. So much hope 
but also so much disappointment too. And that's where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 1. In about 445 BC, Nehemiah, we're told, is in a place called Susa, at the winter palace of the Persian king and the capital of the Persian empire. He has, we're told at the end in verse 11, an important job. He's described as the cupbearer to the king. It was a sort of head of MI5, the close protection officer for the queen and being the prime minister, a fairly important and strategic job. And it's striking that God does not choose to use a prophet, a priest, a king, or a judge. Rather, he chooses someone who will demonstrate the skills of a politician, a diplomat, a strategic planner, an engineer, a community organizer, and a civic leader. At the start of chapter one, Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, and a group return from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asks them how things are. The news, verse three, is not good. There is great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Jerusalem is left defenseless, vulnerable, and in desperate need. Nehemiah is hundreds of miles away, surrounded by opulence, prosperity, beautiful architecture, and apparently what were stunning botanical gardens. But emotionally and spiritually, his heart is back in Jerusalem. And his response is telling, verse four, I sat down and wept. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There are nine prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah. This particular prayer in chapter one takes less than a minute perhaps to read through, but it's full of theology, full of passion, and gives us some useful pointers as to perhaps we might pray as we face these difficult times again. Firstly, it's an honest prayer. Nehemiah doesn't pretend with God. He pours out how he's really feeling to God. He weeps as he prays. Sometimes we get the impression that we have to pray the right words in the right way at the right time. But it's okay to tell God how we're really feeling. So if this week some of us have been frustrated, disappointed, angry, confused, fed up, despairing perhaps at the prospect of more homeschooling, struggling perhaps emotionally or feeling lonely, it's okay to tell God how we feel, to pour out our heart to him and express to him what is really on our hearts. It's an honest prayer. Secondly, it's an empathetic prayer. It's striking if you look at the prayer, the words that Nehemiah uses. I confess the sins we Israelites have committed how we have acted, how we have not obeyed. Remember, he's never been to Jerusalem. He's describing the events that had happened over a hundred years before he was born. But he enters into and identifies with his people. He doesn't point the finger, but he identifies with them. If we're honest, sometimes it is far easier to see ourselves as victims rather than contributors. To see ourselves as equally guilty of sin as other people that we find so easily to find the sin 
in them. But Nehemiah does that. He identifies with his people and uses the I. He uses the we. He uses the us. He empathizes and identifies with the people that he's praying for. So it's an honest prayer. It's an empathetic prayer. And thirdly, it's a persistent prayer. It's striking again that he prays and weeps and fasts, we're told, for some days. The account begins in the month of Kislev. That's the roughly equivalent to December for us. But things don't happen in chapter 2 until the month of Nisan. That's roughly the equivalent of March or April. That's three or four months, perhaps the equivalent of the lockdown that we're facing over the next few weeks and months. Three or four months where Nehemiah prays, where Nehemiah weeps, where Nehemiah fasts, and where Nehemiah pours out his heart to God. I wonder what difference it would make. The difference it would make to us, the difference it would make to our city, the difference it would make to our nation, if we committed to pray, to fast, to weep for the next three months. I know of one church in Glasgow that this next week will be praying and fasting for the entire week. They can't do three months, but they feel called under God to fast and to pray this week. Maybe that's something that we should reflect on as a church, and maybe we too should call a week of prayer and a week of fasting. It's an empathetic prayer, it's an honest prayer, and it's a persistent prayer. But finally and fourthly, it's a prayer that is all about God. It is honest, it is empathetic, it is persistent, but above all it's a prayer where Nehemiah reminds himself and God who God is, what God has promised. And what comes across is not so much how Nehemiah feels or even what Nehemiah wants. What is repeated again and again and again is who God is. And the God that Nehemiah believes in, as we see in this prayer, is a God who is unique, a God who is universally sovereign, a God who is totally reliable, a God who is utterly holy, a God who is compassionately merciful, uniquely powerful, infinitely gracious, and completely just. And as he prays, Nehemiah has a sense of perspective restored and his faith is renewed. Before he acts, Nehemiah must first feel what God feels. Before he does anything, Nehemiah needs to see how things really are. Before he takes any step of faith and what he feels God is calling him to do will be very risky and will put his life on the line again and again and again. But before any action, Nehemiah needs reminding and reminding himself who God is. And maybe as we face up to what we're facing just now, that's not a bad place for us to start 2021, with a reminder of the God that we believe and trust in. A God who, like Nehemiah, identifies with us, and who, in the person of Jesus, entered into our experience. Who, in the person of Jesus, just like Nehemiah, knew what it was to weep over Jerusalem. And Jesus, 
who also knew what it was to pour out how he was really feeling to his heavenly father, but who ultimately decided to trust, even though he knew it would mean him risking everything. Jesus, who by his birth, life, death, and resurrection, make it possible for us to know God and be known by him. By trusting in that same God that Nehemiah believed in, a God who is universally sovereign, a God who is totally reliable, a God who is utterly holy, a God who is compassionately merciful, a God who is uniquely powerful and infinitely gracious, a God who is intimately near and completely just. Maybe this week, maybe today, you need to pour out how you are really feeling to God, but you also need to remind yourself who God is, that he can be trusted, that he can be relied upon, that no matter the confusion and at times the disorientation that we feel, God is in control. God does have this, and God does have you. That's no bad place to begin 2021. Let's pray together that we might believe in that same God and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We recognise how many of us are feeling just now, with that sense of frustration or disappointment, of hopes for a new future and a new normal, momentarily or temporarily dashed. With the return to homeschooling for many people, with confusion in industries and education, with the strain and the stresses that the NHS are facing just now, with this new virulent strain of COVID increasing many people's anxieties and concerns. But we simply want to declare with Nehemiah that you are the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And we ask that you might be attentive, that your eyes might be open to us. We confess our sin. We confess our wickedness. We confess our unwillingness to be obedient to you. But we simply ask you to be faithful, faithful to your word, faithful to your character, faithful to your name. And we ask that you might pour your Holy Spirit into our hearts afresh now, that whatever happens to us this week, this month or this year, we might grow closer to you, that we might trust you more, that the image of Jesus, the character of Christ, might be formed more fully in us by the end of this year than it is now. And that whatever the future holds, you might help us to keep trusting you and looking to you, the sovereign, powerful, uniquely intimate and compassionately merciful God that Nehemiah believed in and that we believe in also. Through the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.